Welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That, as usual, is me. The Drink of the Year Awards is my favorite event of the Boothby events we do each year, and it'll be back again in November 2024 for the third year. For this episode of Drinks at Work, however, I'm talking to the bartender behind the drink that took the number one spot on the top 50 last year. That is, of course, Samuel Thornhill. He's the head bartender at Melbourne cocktail bar Birdie, and we talk about how he developed the drink, Bad Apple, why it took over a year to get it right, and why he almost walked away from the idea altogether. It's a drink that's all about fermentation. It's a really interesting concept and interesting what he's done with it. And given the fact that Birdie is one of the few bars genuinely pushing the boundaries of the way drinks are conceived and presented in Australia, I also asked Sam about the creative process at the bar, how drinks get on the list, what they look for in new hires, and a lot more. Should you want to get a job at Birdie, by the way, here's one thing to keep in mind. You'll be working across both the bar and the kitchen, which, with the likely death of the Pure Play cocktail bar, as I wrote about in the newsletter on Monday, and the blurring of lines between bar and restaurant, the approach at Birdie is a genuinely interesting one, and one that might be worth exploring further for other operators out there. A quick note now before we go on, uh, the audio on Sam in this episode is a little sketchy. He did take some time out of his day at Birdie to chat, so you might hear a little bit of background noise. We've done our best to clean it up and he's well worth a listen to. Okay, let's get into it now. Here's my chat with Samuel Thornhill. Sam Thornhill, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work. Hey man, how you going? <laughs> I'm going very well. We're, uh, you're in Melbourne, I'm in Sydney. It's hot in both places. Uh, I think we're about to sweat things out a fair bit here. So we're gonna keep this on a very brisk pace today. But um, you're the head bartender at Birdie in Melbourne. Uh, you're also the uh, bartender behind the number one drink of the year from the Boothby Drink of the Year Awards last year, the Bad Apple. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about Birdie, I'm going to talk to you about the drink and a bit about your approach to creativity. But, but first off, what was that like to uh, get the number one drink last year at the awards? Yeah, there were some pretty heavy hitters in the room in the bartending world. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was uh, unexpected, I've got to say. It's a drink based around fermentation. So kind of tend to see them rank a little bit lower just because they're a little bit more, um, I guess, interesting in terms of like moldy apples and things. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. one word for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like the, the competition, actually. I like the drink of the, the, drink of the year format. Um, so it's a super celebration of like, the best of Australian bartenders. So it's wicked. Drank a lot of sake and uh, had a wicked time. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Um, Tell us about the bad apple. How did that drink come about? What was the, the thinking behind it? Oh, actually, maybe describe it first because it's uh, it's all about fermentation. Yeah, um, different styles of fermentation in a highball format. Kind of inspired by uh, Margaret's and their fermentation work around botrytis. Um, but essentially, the drink is kind of told, uh, or the story of the drink is kind of told in the garnish. Spent a bit of time out in the Yarra Valley uh, with a producer that we work really closely. Uh, alongside guys at Finn, the winery. Uh, they also make amazing cider, so they've got a range of different apples across their orchards. Um, basically spend a bit of time out there, and towards the end of the season, there's a lot of apples that fall from the tree, obviously. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of looking at like this amazing aroma that comes through the orchard at that time. So it's almost like a, a caramelised aroma that comes through. Right. When I looked a little bit closer at that, obviously that's a fermentation style that's happening in an uncontrolled environment. Um, yeah. It's kind of some really cool stuff happening behind the scenes with that as well. Yeah. So the drink itself is kind of looking closer at what we could achieve if we brought that process into a controlled environment. Um, the flavor right. profiles that we could 
Bluff, now Pilsen. Right. So, so the idea started in in the orchard in the on the ground there, and then you bring that in to the yeah. bar setting. Well, we've got a funny one with that producer because I tend to call the guys and be like, "I've got a bit of a weird one for you." Have you guys got any rotten apples this time? Um, I've taken heaps of stuff from them. They kind of hate the phone call, but yeah, <laughs> spent a bit of time drinking wine in the Arrow Valley and basically came up with the concept of putting moldy apples on top of a drink and serving it to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, drink of the year. Um, how how do you make that palatable for people to drink? You know, uh, th- people might be thinking, you know, <laughs> taking. Apples that are rotting on the ground, kind of thing. How do you how are you gonna make that in a drink that I actually want to drink? Yeah, I think it was mainly pulling on that like caramelized flavor profile. Um, right. So obviously we, we call it a rotten apple. Um, it's perfectly safe to eat. Um, I've eaten yeah. a lot of apples to get that, but um, yeah, <laughs> kind of looking at that cooked apple profile. Um, I think everybody likes a high bulb of apples. It's pretty like well trodden path. But kind of looking at different ways of extracting flavor from produce. First and foremost, um, building that into a drink that really celebrates uh, a specific producer. Yeah. And so coming from that idea for the drink and then to the final execution, it's on the menu. What, how long did that process take? What's How many iterations do you have to go through? Uh, yeah, fair few. It was, um, to be honest, uh, <laughs> I worked on it the, the year before. Um, so me and Luke kind of have a a slot in the menu when we're designing the drinks for the season where we kind of call it like a hear me out option um, which is it might be a little bit more left yeah. field um, but this was kind of my hear me out um, we were talking through um, kind of the process behind it and how we could build in that into a story that drank well firstly but it's still quite fun um, the most important thing about it is you can have like a really high concept drink and there's a lot of technique behind it but I think the most important thing is that when people drink your drinks they should enjoy them so the idea of putting something that's yeah. rotten or like it seems rotten, simple right yeah uh, <laughs> it seems simple but we started working on it about I think the autumn before I wanted to put it on the menu so maybe a year right. previous um, I just couldn't quite get it right to a, a position where it looked and tasted had like a textural element that made you want to eat it. It looked a little bit more like a rotten apple at that stage. Um, we really wanted to create that <laughs> texture that was like sort of pearly white, and you you got mm. the clear mold. Um, I guess aesthetic, but at the same time, it was something that like when you picked it up, it had texture that you wanted to eat, um, and that took a little bit of time. So we put right. a pin in it and slowly worked over uh, the year. Kind of kept coming back to it. Just had a little look at it. And then it was actually one that we, I, I got pretty fed up with after a while. Uh, and we actually got down to like almost to the, the point where I was going to say, okay, this is, I can't quite get it where I want it. So maybe it's one that we put a pin in for, for a while and come back to it again. And then it's just the last, the last fermentation run that I ran on it. It, uh, it, it all came together. So fortunately, um, right. it's always trial and error with fermentation. So you're constantly kind of recording as you go along. Like a lot of it goes wrong. Um, some of it goes right. Yeah. Hopefully the majority goes right yeah. uh, eventually, but so it's a bit of a process. Yeah. So the, the whole fermentation thing for me, I find it, it's interesting because I've, I've tried a few different uh, ways bartenders have used uh, in-house fermentation in their drinks. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're bad. And then sometimes you're like, oh, 
should I even be ingesting this? What are the kind of systems you guys put in place to sort of make sure the things that you're serving to your guest is is delicious and not, you know, a hazard? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, the main thing is, obviously, we're working within parameters that are predefined by, um, for me on this one, was predefined by restaurants. Uh, so it's working with people in a community where you're talking all the time, discussing like, the best ways of maintaining uh I guess the, the best practices for fermentation. We measure everything. Yeah. Um, we're constantly monitoring uh, and recording data around it. So when we do eventually show people and say to people, like, this is the process behind it, there's a whole bank of data that um, kind of allows us to, to feel comfortable in what we're doing. I think the main thing is, as well as, like, with the fermentation side is if there's any doubt, if there's any doubt whatsoever, it's just common sense to be like, okay, we'll, we'll park that. A lot of the time yeah. you go, you'll go to bars and there's like a bit of an apprehension around, I guess, fermented drinks. Yeah. You don't really have the same appreh- apprehension around fermented foods. So yeah. we, we go into a restaurant and, you know, if you go to Nama or if you go to a restaurant that's heavily uh, focused on fermentation, we feel really comfortable and we trust chefs, we trust the kitchen um, to, be, to be following the, those protocols. Um, mm. I think in bars we get a little bit more jittery, but... With bartenders. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're bartenders, yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's a shame, but, you, you know, fermentation's not a new new idea. It's a thing that's been going back for, for millennia, and we've oh, evolved to eat these kind of foods. It's just, I think it's just, you know, having the knowledge around when it's gone wrong, I think, and not yeah. being committed to something just because you, hey, I've got this crazy idea, and then putting it in front of a guest. It's like you kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I think... Around that is it's just experience. Um, So knowing when a ferment's potentially not in great shape, and knowing the best ways to ensure that it's always in great shape is something that comes Mm. with experience. Luckily for me, I'm surrounded by people who've been working in fermentation for twenty odd years. Um, I say that tentatively because I think Luke probably here and it shows his age. But um, (laughs) but in terms of like how we we view. I guess fermented foods and, and to, to be honest, wasted foods as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's more the con- the preconception of what is good and like what is technically like a bad food. Um, mm. You see people like Matt Wiley who kind of pick stuff out of the bin uh, <laughs> and tell you like an, an Evan to a degree. Matt Wiley. In, yeah, <laughs> uh, an Evan to a degree in, in Sydney um, who are using like second fruits. Uh, yeah. It's kind of just looking at like the, I guess the preconception of what it's like bad fruit. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it can be delicious. This is the thing. So, hundred percent. Yeah, tell us for people who haven't had the chance to get to Birdie in Melbourne. Tell us a bit about what the bar's about and what to expect when people get there. Because if you ask me, it's probably one of the bars that uh, is definitely sort of pushing some boundaries, I guess, but also at the sort of higher end of flavor and what we can expect is kind of a different approach to a lot of bars in around the country yeah um essentially we're, we're a small bar uh, above a train station in melbourne cbd uh family owned <laughs> business uh we just have a really strong focus on locality and seasonality yeah um, the idea being that it's about creating moments for us um everything's based around time and place so we have seasonal menus um that run throughout the year Every time, the idea is that if you come and have a bite to eat with us and a drink, you're experiencing Victoria and Victorian produce in that moment. Um, so if you come back 
the same month the year after. It should be a different experience, but you kind of, the whole emphasis that we have with our, our team and, and the way that we approach drinks is all based around, we want to create a moment that's memorable for that one period of time in that place. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the, main, the main core of what we do. We are, I would say, yeah, probably in terms of drinks, we're a little bit more on the boundary pushing side in terms of structures of drinks. Um, mm. But we still lean on the foundations of classics as well. It's just that we, I would say, our drinks are probably, we're not really a classics bar, um, yeah. strictly speaking. Um, and yeah. I think it's good that in Melbourne we actually have like a really good range of bars available. So we're not those guys. People come to us, we have a nice spot in um, the bar scene here where people come and try something a little bit different. Mm. Um, it might be on the, the, the more sort of conceptual side, I would say. Um, yeah. But that's what they, they're quite... We have a really good demographic of people that come through quite open to that. Yeah. I mean, like, the drinks are kind of conceptual. The ingredients can be kind of strange. But every drink I've had there is quite an approachable tasting drink. You know, it's not like... Not like the, you know, 10 years ago where you'd have a bitter Amaro on top of another Amaro and it's like a bartender drink and if you don't like it, you don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the main thing for me is I, I want people to come and enjoy the bar. Um, yeah. I think there's a, a lot of the time there's, we're in this conversation at the moment where it's like give, uh, give your guests what they want. And for us, we're no different. Um, you know, we want to give people an experience where they, the, the drinks are approachable. But at the same time, maybe a little bit different, maybe a little bit interesting mm. in terms of, of what they've had before. Yeah. If they come and see us and try something different, if they're a granny drinker and they like a bit of drink, across our menus you'll see drinks that tick those boxes. They might not yeah. be in the same format as a classic Negroni, um, and it might be very much embedded in that time um, that they're visiting us, but they'll still enjoy the drink, and it still needs to be in a, a profile that basically when somebody comes to they say, fuck, that's delicious. Yeah. Um, if it's not, yeah. then uh, we're doing something wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the genius too is that uh, whilst you have these approachable kind of flavors that people can get get access to and they can it, you know they don't have to they don't have to understand how the drink was made to enjoy it you're also creating drinks where it's uh you know i can't like i've looked at the recipes i can't make them myself there's no way you can't get the, these drinks anywhere else other than birdie which i really like you know it gives people yeah. a reason to go out to the bar rather than you know make a make a drink at home for themselves yeah and i think that is kind of reflected across the experience of try and provide um, for me, I, I think as a bartender, the, the main thing that I was experiencing is like, if I'm going to a bar and I'm paying $25 to $30 for a drink, I don't want to be able to make that drink on myself <laughs> without having to go to the bar. It's, uh, I want to be, I want to go somewhere and experience somebody's interpretation of, um, what like drinking in Australia is right now. Yeah. And I'm happy to pay. For it. But if I go yeah. to a bar and I'm paying like a, a decent premium for like a, a very simple, um, very simple classic. I'm kind of like, well, okay, what's the, where's the value for me here? Like yeah. some places that you'll go to and you, you know, there's bars that I absolutely love, the classics bars that do classics really well. Um, and you have an amazing time. There's other places mm. that you go to, it's not necessarily about the drinks, it's more based around the vibe and going, being in a space with other people where the energy is like really high. Yeah. And, you know, you can justify that and say, I'm happy to spend that premium. I want, I want to be in that spot. Um, yeah. but the main thing for me is I think there's a lot of ways that in, in bartender you can you can do those simple basics but make them your own. 
Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of the philosophy that we have is that if somebody can come into the bar and make the drink at home themselves, then, you know, what are we providing outside of the, the whole experience um, of being in the venue and all the things attributed to that? The, the foundation for that is coming and having like an interesting experience. Yeah. And how, how much of, does the food play a part in that experience these days? Because I think, you know, I, I saw a clip of Matt Wiley speaking at the Melbourne Cocktail Festival last year, and he was talking about how the days of, you know, a purely drinks-based, you know, cocktail bar might be, might be numbered. You want to have some food, you want to have, you know, other options that aren't just boozy, boozy classic cocktails because people yeah. want to have a longer night out. Is that more and more important for you guys? Us integral, yeah. Um, to be honest, I, I completely agreed with Matt at the time. Um, it's been yeah. a, for me, I think that I, I do think that the, the day and age where bars don't serve food is kind of on its way out. Um, it's mm. not already out. Like you look at the new venues that have opened in Australia um, already got towards the back of last year. It's a really yeah. like impressive food offering that maybe ten years ago you wouldn't see. And for me, I think if I go to a bar, if you want to retain guests. And you want people to stay with you for the whole night. If you're not offering food, it's 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 really tricky because uh, you're serving yeah. drinks at a high ABV, and eventually somebody's going to call a taxi and we'll move on to another <laughs> bar. You know? um, so we yeah we put a lot of focus on the food uh, the food side. So our you guys, are you guys still doing the still doing the prawn toast there? <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to get oh, that off the menu just oh, so no, a lot. It's so good. You uh, can't get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, I love it, but it's uh, it's very much a love hate relationship with it. Um, okay. When you've made it a thousand times, it's uh, it's one that I'll be happy to see you go. But the um, yeah, the food menu is designed by Aki, uh, one of the owners. Aki Nishikura said she has Japanese heritage, so there is like a little twist in there. But it's very much um, a core fundamental of what we do. There's no real distinction here between kitchen and bar. So yeah. everybody. Within the bars, cross-trained uh, bartenders, so kind of rotate through cooking, uh, being on the stick and on the floor. Um, but the idea is that we don't really see a difference between cooking and bartending. Yeah, it's just all part of the experience. Um, how? What? What do you guys look for when you are looking for bartenders, or I guess kitchen, kitchen staff when you're hiring? Because is there a certain? Do you hire on mindset? Do you hire on like? The resume where people have worked. What what's the thing you're looking for? Uh, to be honest, I hire mainly on, on, on fit. Um, if you see, we have quite a young team at the moment. Uh, yeah. but they've all got really good energy, um, and they're just passionate about hospitality. You know, so a lot of people who come through. I mean, I probably include myself. Who've developed a get an ego, um, <laughs> maybe get into like a, a territory where they're they're not really engaging in the workplace that they're in. They'll they'll move on. Uh, the main thing for us is when people come through is that they're, they're passionate about what they do, um, mm. passionate about being at Birdie, um, and passionate about making an experience for people when they come through Birdie that really adds value to, to their experience in the bar. Um, but yeah, experience for me is not, you know, it's great if somebody's worked in really high profile bars or they've got like amazing worldly experience, but it's not the, the be all and end all. Yeah, okay. If you get somebody in who's, who's younger and has got the, the right attitude, um, but the right application, then to me, that's way more valuable than working in the top 10 bar in the world. Gotcha. Uh, in terms of the systems you guys put in place, obviously it's a very creative bar. The menus uh, involve heaps of technique. As you said, a lot of uh, trial and error. How, how do you guys make time to do 
all that kind of R&D stuff when you've got to serve however many nights a week? Um, yeah, we, we tend to, I mean, we do, we do make time for it within uh, the roster that we have with the guys. Um, yeah, is it, is it like a constant every week thing or do you have certain sections of the year where you do it? Um, so we, we start working on the menus probably three to six months out at the moment. Um, yeah. We've actually just changed our operating hours, so we're, we're open in the daytime at the moment, which has been an awesome move back to kind of where we were before COVID. Yeah, so yeah. we, with that, we've expanded our team, so we have quite a few more hands on deck to be able to, to hold our creative sessions. So we run a creative session every week. It's kind of like a space that we create for the guys to work creatively on project uh, projects based around the menu, yeah. and then throughout the throughout the year we're constantly working on fermentation projects so they kind of form almost like an inventory of ingredients that not necessarily tied to a menu um but we constantly adapting and building that inventory so when it does come to r&d we try and have quite a uh, i guess like thought out process in terms of the methods that we go through with the drinks uh, and this all stems from from the individual projects yeah, cool. So what are you saying you'd sort of have, let's say you've got plums going out of season one day, you guys might get some of that, put them through a few techniques and then have that on the shelf and then maybe two menus later, you're like, oh, we've got some of this stuff over here? Yeah, so we, I mean, for me, it kind of links back to when, when you're talking about hiring. Um, obviously, when we get bartenders through, it's a really tight menu at Birdie. Um, yeah. And one of the ways that we bring people into that sort of understanding the process that we have is through these different fermentation projects. Yeah, it's right. kind of learning the, the fundamentals through a project that hasn't got any pressure on it. It's based yeah. around produce that's either in season, coming out of season, and they're yeah. contributing towards um, ingredients that might feature across three or four drinks in the menu uh, for the next season. Mm. So rather than being like, hey, Sam, you've got one drink this season. Um, it's based around fermented rice. We might set up a fermentation project that's based around different type styles of rice ferments, right. and they might feature across four or five drinks out of the ten. Um, so it just gives people a bit more ownership of, of the menu when they come through. It kind of feels more like a collective responsibility rather than just being like, okay, some of these are the drinks, and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, how, how did you get involved with Birdie, and what was your, how did you get into bartending? What was the thing that kind of got you hooked? So I actually, um, I used to work in a different industry. Um, so when I was a lot younger, I used to work in film and TV. I was right. a camera operator. Um, yeah. And I had a mate who opened the bar in the UK. And basically, I used to go and work with him one day a week. Um, there's a guy called Jack Waiter. Um, and he's run by uh, a guy called Brent Lavelle, who first doing some pretty cool stuff in the UK now. But they kind of taught me a lot of like how to look at drinks outside of being like, I come from Yorkshire. So I dodge in the UK. Um, it's very much like a pub area. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I started working in this cocktail bar so one or two days a week. And whilst I was working in film and TV, um, I just got super passionate about it. Um, yeah, the guys right. invested a heap of time in me, um, which I'm really grateful for. And it kind of steered me towards um, this career path, I guess. And when I moved to, um, when I moved to Melbourne, I worked... I worked in fine dining for three years when I first arrived. Mm -hmm. I worked with I worked at Blue Mate, yeah. um, so very much focused on uh, Australian ecosystems. I worked under Orlando Marto for a little bit, and kind yeah. of transitioned in and took over the bar program from him. 
Yeah, Orlando is a former guest on this podcast. He's well, he won world class Australia, right? Did he, yeah. he won global, didn't he? He won global, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also like super, super passionate guy. Um, mm. Like heaps of time for everybody. Uh, he made a lot of time for me, which is awesome. We kind of like really steered me into looking at drinks in a slightly different way, I guess, in terms of in the restaurant setting. Yeah. And then when uh, I worked under a couple of chefs that when that came to it's sort of natural players for me. I, I wanted to move on. Um, started having a chat with Luke. But yeah, they had all the synergy between um, the bar program at Lima and the focus that Luke's had. Yeah. In terms of like the, the menu was like 80% forage. It was all based around Australian ecosystems. All those spirits were really still on site. Yeah. So kind of moving, transitioning into working with Luke was uh, pretty smooth. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, came on and started running early for Luke and Arky, uh, two or three years ago. Yeah. And what is it, what keeps you uh, getting up and going into work every day? What, what, it, why, why do you do what you do? That's good. Sometimes I ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, when, when you're at close open, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Jesus. Um, I think it's one of those things in hospitality, actually. It's, um, it's, there's something to, one, the validation that you get from giving something to somebody that people enjoy. Like visibly, yeah. you can see somebody enjoys something that you've created or like you've been a part of the creation of. Um, but the other side of it is I, I like the people that I work with. Um, I go yeah. to work, we, we do some interesting things. You know, we talk, we have like a really good community around the bar that are all, um, all started as really small entities. You know, we started working with producers who, for example, like Melbourne Sarko is a really good one. Um, I love the guys there. Cause when we first started, they brought us of their first batch of sake and like we're, we're brewing sake for the first time in Australia. Right. You know, really small entity and then as we've grown, they've grown at the same time, um, obviously different parts. Um, mm. So now we have a really nice community around the bar that are all people who are really invested in helping each other. I guess that's the really cliche answer to that question. <laughs> oh, it's, that's, it's a beautiful answer to that question. Okay, last question for you. It's kind of like the drinks at work question. Um, it's a two-parter. So it's like, what do you look for in a, in a great bar? But then again, what also, what makes you happy in a bar? Yeah, I think, so the, uh, I mean, I'll answer them in, in two parts. Um, I guess what I look for in a great bar, for me, it, it very much depends on the occasion. I think there's, yeah. um, there's bars for every occasion and, and they're very different. But ultimately, like, a good offering, like solid drinks, um, a food offering that like kind of can sustain your whole evening. Um, yeah. You know, I think bars for me, like the sign of a good bar is where there's layers, uh, where there's like, if you want to come in and smash beers, if you want to come in and, and drink highballs all night, you can do that, that's fine. Um, but then if you want to go a layer deeper and you want to work, you want the bartender to talk you through, um, make sure that they've put together, you know, there's that. And then if you want to go a layer deeper that, you know, they'll take you there. I think they're the signs of the best bars where they have like a a number of layers to it. Otherwise, the, I guess like the, the main thing is that people enjoy themselves. You know, you come in and yeah. try something that's interesting, maybe do something that you're not, not going to get elsewhere and that it ticks the boxes for that night. Yeah, sometimes I, I love to go yeah. and drink, drink classics. I like well-made classics. I'll go to like a Eurocentric cocktail bar. Guys will look after you really well. And you come away from it having an amazing experience. I, mean, I might go up to caretakers after work yeah. next day, drink Guinness and martinis, have an equally amazing experience. <laughs> you know, it's, um, 
Yeah. I think the, the sign of goodbye is that one, it's not regimented into this is what we do. Um, there's no mm. adaptation to that. I think the best bars yeah. and the best bartenders, to be honest, are the ones that when you come through the door, they can read what you're looking for and kind of um, adapt the service to you. Yeah, I guess make you feel good. Yeah, I mean, like, to, to be honest, now, like, uh, like what, when I was in Sydney, yeah, I had an amazing time with, like, such a variety of bars. You know, like, I, I'm the last person yeah. you'll see with a bubble gun blowing in my face, but, you know, the guys in the maybe group make you feel like a king. Is that where I go every day of the week? Yeah. Probably not. But when I go there, I have an awesome time. I think that's a great bar. So, uh, the same yeah. as Ree, you know, I get to, I go to Ree, I go and see Sam and Matt and Josh. But I have an awesome time. I drink drinks that, a boundary pushing, it's a different experience. You know, it's, it's mm. having an equally good time. Yeah. And, okay, and what makes you happiest in a bar? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the cliche answer again would probably be the company, but um, yeah. I'd say probably, <laughs> yeah, I'd say the atmosphere um, and the interaction that you have with like, how you looked after. So, the main thing for me is like, yeah. if you go to a bar and somebody doesn't, you know, you get no greeting. You don't really know where you feel. You don't really know how to fit into that space. Um, that's really tricky. It's, it's such an easy it's, thing to do to greet someone too, right? It's pretty yeah. simple. You know? Just, I think the, yeah, I think that's, in Australia we have like an amazing hospitality scene because I, I generally think there's, there's very few bars that you walk into and you don't get like an Australian welcome. You know, it's like we're, we're pretty yeah. good at making people feel easy. Um, feel comfortable even yeah. if you're in like a, from like a really high concept bar into a dive bar you can park up at the bar and most of the, most venues that you go to you get well looked after and made to feel at home absolutely couldn't agree with you more okay well Sam thank you very much for joining me on Drinks at Work and I'll see thanks, you when man. I'm in Melbourne next thanks to Sam for the chat and thank you to you for listening as always if you enjoyed this episode please give it a share with a friend and make sure you tick the subscribe button in your podcast player of choice so you don't miss an episode okay until next time this has been drinks at work from Boothby